and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Stephen Gazzola and Mike McReady. Gazzola is a project manager with the city of Guelph and McReady is a project archaeologist with Archaeological Research Associates Limited. And these are the guys you want to talk to if you're interested in the archaeological excavation of Baker Street. There's a lot of interest in this project. Maybe it's the ghoulish quality of uncovering remains from an old graveyard. Maybe it's because this is all literally happening on the main street. Or maybe because it's an extension of our heritage-loving Guelph community. But a lot of eyes are on this big hole being dug in the old Baker Street lot. This week, we go inside that hole with the two men holding the shovels. Digging into Baker Street is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Once upon a time, the newly founded Guelph settlement needed somewhere to bury their dead, and for some strange reason, they chose the site of a future downtown parking lot. Not really. Because at this point, Guelph was the downtown core. They chose the site conveniently next to the original St. George's Anglican Church, which used to sit in the town square that now bears the name. Sometime later, the graveyard was moved when the city passed a bylaw banning in-city burials and that was around the mid-19th century. That's when Woodlawn Memorial Park opened. All the graves were supposed to have been moved from the downtown graveyard and then reinterred at Woodlawn. But nearly 170 years later, we're still finding people under Baker who never made that trip. The history that sits under Baker Street entered public consciousness again in the 21st century. Work on Baker Street in 2005 revealed remains from some of Guelph's earliest residents. One male, one female, nine infants, and 36 incomplete remains. That work was finished, and we moved on, but yet more remains were discovered in 2010, when a sinkhole revealed the bone fragments of another infant. And then again, in 2016, while the city was dismantling the old parking attendance booth in Baker Street, even more remains were found. Dealing with the graves that remain under Baker was a necessary first step in getting the site ready for redevelopment. Since last fall, when the work began, workers have discovered 83 grave shafts and have identified 37 distinct discoveries of human remains, a.k.a. bone fragments. And they've also discovered some cool stuff like an old brick crypt. When work was paused for winter in January, 65% of the lot had been excavated and the city is on track to be finished the excavation by June. So with work scheduled to begin again next month, the time is ripe to get down and talk about all the work that's been done so far. So Stephen Gazzola and Mike McReady join us on this edition of the Guelph Politicast to talk about the history of the Baker Street lot, the difficulty in trying to get the complete picture of the site's history, and how excavating a developed area in the urban core is a different challenge from archaeological work on a greenfield site. We will also talk about what else they found in the Baker Street lot other than remains, what they've learned about Guelph's early years in the process, and how they cope when the process reveals something that they didn't expect to find. And finally, we will discuss the work that is left to be done, how the crew will know that they found everything, and if there are any other places in Guelph that they would like to dig up. So I caught up with Stephen Gazzola and Mike McReady last week via Zoom. Well, I am being joined on the line now by Stephen Gazzola of the city of Guelph. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Adam. And I am also being joined by Mike McReady, who is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if I mess up your job title, you are an archaeological consultant, Mike? I, yeah, that's correct. I'm a, I'm a 
project manager with Archaeological Research Associates. Perfect. So these are the men we want to talk to about a little project happening in downtown Guelph right now. And Stephen, maybe I'll turn to you first. Uh, we were talking a bit about long-term histories in Guelph before we started recording, but in terms of this site in particular, could you just give us maybe like a, a brief overview of uh, that that piece of land along Baker Street and its uh, historical significance to Guelph? Yeah, sure. Sure, Adam. Um, the Baker Street parking lot, uh, although maybe we remember it as being a parking lot for the last 50 or 60 years of, of our existence here in Guelph, it originally started as the uh, the public burying ground for the city of Guelph back in 1827. And it's uh, existed for about uh, 50 years, I guess. And, uh, and that the end of its duration, well, what caused its demise was uh, the city passed a bylaw that would allow no more burials within the city limits. And hence, uh, that was the precursor or the uh, the genesis of Woodlawn Memorial Park out on Woolwich Street at Woodlawn there. Which, at, at, the t- <laughs> at the time, I assume no one thought that the city would get so big that it would uh, not only reach Woodlawn Memorial Park, it would surpass Woodlawn Memorial Park. Yeah, certainly not, no. <laughs> so, Mike, in, in sort of approaching a project like this, uh, does it help your job, I guess, knowing ha- or, or having like a, a real history to the site, like knowing what to expect? You're not kind of going in blind. You are you kind of know more or less what you're going to find uh, at a site like this. Yeah, during the planning stages for any sort of archaeological assessment, we try to get as much information as we can on the history of the property. Um, so a lot of the time the work we're doing is in kind of greenfield areas and you might get, you know, uh, the initial settlers or the previous homeowners that may have had a, a house or something on the property, um, or there might be evidence of the digital occupation. But when we're dealing with urban sites, particularly ones in a heavily developed area, then there can often be very interesting property histories that will will inform how we approach the work. Um, so for a case like this, where there's obviously you know, the potential for not only human remains, but also um, remains of the various other uses that the parking lot has been put to since the cemetery was closed. Um, that all kind of feeds into how we plan our approach and, and what we're going to be looking for when we open the ground. Is there uh, a difference between the way you would treat an urban setting like Baker Street and the way you would treat like a, a greenfield somewhere where there's been no settlement, I guess? For sure, yeah. So uh, greenfield projects, we're typically looking at, at um, surficial deposits. So artifacts on the surface either by plowing the field and then and walking it to see what what gets turned up or by doing test pit survey where we'll take you know kind of 30 centimeter test pits down just to subsoil which is not super deep in most of Ontario uh, but in urban settings like this we're doing more uh, what gets called a deeply buried assessment so that's when we bring in heavy equipment like a backhoe or an excavator and we remove the the upper layers of you know, more recent disturbance so gravel asphalt fill layers, all that kind of stuff to try to get down underneath and see if there's anything still still present and intact. Mm-hmm. Now back to you, Stephen. There's a practical reason why this is sort of being undertaken, which is we're redeveloping that site. So it makes sense to take the time, effort, and energy because there's a lot of site prep that has to happen anyway. How long has something like this sort of been on the city's radar? Because 
it's like the worst kept secret in town that where there's a sinkhole or a pothole or something, something has been discovered in this area. Uh, I guess a good question. Um, you know, everyone knows it's there and it has been there and, and yes, previous efforts, uh, some road work, uh, removals of the parking kiosk there, uh, uh, led to discoveries. Um, but what's driving this in this instance is the redevelopment of Baker, uh, Baker Street in the parking lot there and uh, creating, you know, with our public partner, Windmill Developments, uh, new housing, and of course, the, the new uh, central public library. So this work, you know, has to happen in advance of that. You know, we want to make sure that the site is clear, uh, find everything that we can possibly find to prevent any delays caused by finding something later so this is just mm -hmm. a natural order of work in preparation for development you know it's along the lines of you know making sure we get the right uh size sewers sanitary storm making sure that uh, electric gets in there Enbridge gets in there for gas and and we're setting it up for uh, success you know so it's pre pre-planning uh pre-construction work basically mm -hmm. and mike how often do you get or you know you or ARA get called into a, a site like this um somewhere that used to be a cemetery uh you know we're, we're you know for sure you know you're going to be looking for human remains uh you know I, I guess how, how often is is this like a recurrence in in your field <laughs> uh probably more often than you'd think so we do uh, a handful of cemetery projects every year they're usually not quite this scale. Like, this mm. is one of the larger ones we've undertaken. Um, and often it's more working kind of around the outside edge of a cemetery or, or where a cemetery might have been rather than excavating the entire thing. Um, but with the amount of cemeteries and historic cemeteries around Ontario and the, the, the push for development and, and increasing city sizes, you run into this a lot. Mm. Records were not... I. I and maybe you can lend some historical insight into this, but, you know, I, I know that one of the problems with a site like this is just, you know, no, like exact records weren't, maybe it's not, it wasn't that they weren't kept, but it's that, you know, back in the day when everything was on paper, it was so much easier to lose records. And, and so when you're talking about 50 years later, after you open a cemetery and trying to move everybody, that was always going to be uh, more easier said than done, let's say. For sure. Um, with historic cemeteries, there's always the issue of, of trying to identify who might have been there or, or how many um, individuals there might have been present. Um, and as you said, like with the paper records, things get lost all the time. There's, they're often stored in basements and there's floods or yes. other damage that happens to them. They disappear. And particularly with, with a situation like this, where it's a public burial ground instead of one run by a specific organization, there's even less chance of records having been kept you know, surviving to this time. Right. There's, there's a reason why it was there and it's because uh, it backed up on about four different churches. Exactly. And <laughs> theoretically when it was closed, um, the individuals were supposed to have been exhumed and reinterred in Woodlawn Cemetery. Um, but during that period, often they would only do the ones that they could see and they didn't really, you know, search right. around very much to find additional ones. So if there was no marker or headstone or anything that was right. still standing, they would have just left them behind so a lot of the ones we are finding were partially exhumed it looks like or were exhumed and they missed you know 
some of the finger bones or some of the toe bones, some of the, the smaller things that are easier to easier to miss if you're trying to do it quick. It's kind of a class uh, thing. Yeah. If you were able to afford a, a headstone, you probably got moved. If you weren't, you probably stayed put. Exactly. So the, the most exciting um, grave that we found was in a brick, sorry, was in a brick crypt on the mm-hmm. site. Mm-hmm. And that one, of course, was empty because it was been somebody wealthy and it would have been very visible. So they, they made sure they got that one. Okay. And that, just to confirm, that was on the Baker site. You, uh, yeah. A brick crypt yeah, yeah. was found. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they took the body, kept uh, left the crypt. Um, <laughs> Stephen, before Mike comes into the process, um, y- you know you have this parking lot. You know that there's remains buried there. You know there's this job to be done. I guess can you lay out for us like the process? You know how do you get from this is a this this is the job. Um, how do you get started in terms of starting that? that excavation process? Well, within the city, uh, the organization here, we have a few people that are um, attuned to the process for archaeological clearances and environmental works on on sites. We have some people that we we know, uh, Mike's company, um, and and they were engaged to kind of give us a you know proposal for this and, and to do this work, but it, but it's kind of a multifaceted effort. You know, we have to engage a, an excavator, uh, and uh, and actually, and we also have a an en- civil engineer that's helping us with some of the work uh, initially. So, it's just part of the the pre planning checklist. You know, we know we're going to have to, you know, this is a little bit deeper in that checklist, but you know, we know we're going to have to get a surveyor. We know we're going to have to hire uh, you know consulting team and in this instance we had the uh, the rfp for our, our uh, development partner so um it's just part of the checklist especially in guelph knowing uh what we know you know particularly the, the baker lot you know and there's some other sites that you know we're familiar with and in due course we'll we'll get to them you know whether they're for they're probably not archaeological things but other things you know from time mm. to time you know there's there's ghosts there's ghosts um so just just so we're we're kind of um on i guess looking at all the angles that this is part of like the regular process i mean this is a little more shall we say famous because of the site itself and because it's kind of right there in downtown in front of everybody but you know for the south end rec center for example this is part of that development process as well yeah, archaeological excavations, whether it's it's an actual assessment or it's just background research, are are kind of a mandated part of the development process in Ontario. So mm-hmm. it's it's very standard to do this kind of work. You just don't normally find this level of uh, excitement in a downtown area, right? So, Mike, uh, since you have come in uh, to the this part of the conversation now, uh, at what point? Uh, does ARA sort of get involved? And um, is this one of those situations where like the sooner you're involved, the better? Basically, yeah. So it, it depends on the, the type of development project that's happening, how quickly they, they need to bring in a consultant. Um, for this project, for example, we were involved nearly at the beginning with some of the geotechnical work, uh, just to make sure that nobody's putting a borehole down through a set of remains. Um, but often we're, we're involved in the pre-planning stages for projects or depending on, you know, if it's a subdivision or something like that, we're involved before they put in the, the application plan. Mm-hmm. Can you define what geotechnical work is? 
for for us lay <laughs> uh, us, us lay people. <laughs> sure. In in this case, um, part of the the pre planning stage that Stephen was talking about was to use uh, an environmental consultant to do um, water monitoring, soil testing, that kind of stuff, and that involves using a drilling rig. Mm-hmm. Okay. And an interesting fact, uh, when we went to put down one of our first uh, boreholes for, for geotech, um, we have to do a, a pre-clearance of that area. You know, you just can't go in and put the hole in. And, uh, and so Mike's team was on board and, and the first, the first hole that we were going to clear for, we found remains. So that just kind of stresses the, the point that this has to be approached uh, properly and you just can't have adder on a, on a site. You have to do the, that preparation. Right. So, so Mike, it makes me think, you know, uh, it's, it's a big flat surface, the Baker street parking lot. It's, it's a big open. Sp- I mean, once all the cars are gone, it's a big open space. How do you decide where to put that first hole? Uh, so that <laughs> the, the placement was, was chosen by the environmental consultant. And then we go in at, in advance and, and clear a kind of a two by two meter area just to make sure there's no remains where they want to put their borehole. Thankfully, mm-hmm. it was only the one case where we actually found a set of remains and the rest of them were all, uh, were all clear. Mm-hmm. Um, once we had the parking lot open up, it like it, it was incredibly lucky where those placements ended up being. And it was just, you know, it, it was actually just luck because there was no way to know what was going to be there. But the areas we cleared would be right beside graves and right, you know, couple feet away it's just it's amazing we only found one during Mm -hmm. that first stage i confess to uh going down to baker street to sneak a peek through the the fencing and um i remember last fall you can you can see where the graves were dug like i i found that interesting that you can still see the shape of Mm -hmm. of of the grave and i guess um I'm trying to figure out how to sort of put this delicately, but I mean, you know, how, how does, how, how are you able to sort of discover that, like discover like the old layout of, of that, because we're talking about the, the parking lot layer, there's layers of the layer of asphalt and that's been repaved probably a couple of times since it was first laid. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, we're talking about six feet down and there's a layer of soil between the parking lot and the, and the grave, I guess, um, you know, how much, how much dirt did you have to clear away? And, and how, how do you go about that? <laughs> Lots. Yeah. Um, you can probably see the back dirt pile still on, in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it sticks up well above the fencing. Um, and it's just, it's just a matter of going slowly and carefully with the excavator. So we, we always use an excavator with a smooth edge bucket for this kind of stuff. Cause that, you know, pulls the soil away in a nice, smooth, clean motion. Mm-hmm. And then we can look at the lay underneath. Um, and then it's just a matter of, of particularly at the start going slowly and carefully and trying to figure out where that transition is from the disturbed layers, the gravel fills and all that kind of crap mm. to the intact soil where we'll actually be able to see the grave stain. Mm. Once we get that kind of depth figured out, then you can go a little bit quicker because um, you know roughly you know where your, your target's going to be. Um, right. And then it's just a, a matter of inspecting that soil and looking for those you know, the, the clear evidence of the gray stains, which thankfully on this project have been standing out quite well. Mm-hmm. So Stephen, at what point are we at the, the excavation now? How much work is, is left to be done um, before 
I guess you can comfortably say maybe this isn't a, a situation where you're 100 percent certain you've gotten everything. But I mean, in terms of the, you know, where your, your goals for the, the project, you know, how, how much more work is left to be done? Well, in the in the parking lot, I would say we're, you know, it's not an exact science because it depends <laughs> what you find, right? So we still have to clear kind of the southern portion of the parking lot that still has the asphalt on it. Um, you know, many, many years ago, a, a previous archaeological clearance was performed on that s- portion of the site. But with the number of grave sites, uh, interments that we have found we started to question the data that we had from a previous report and then it turns out that previous report maybe was done under less rigorous um protocols at the really? time so um so um and that's right I'm right on that eh, mike mm. and uh, and um so we're, we're gonna double check that because uh you know the clusters that we have found uh indicate that maybe just so that there should be a few more than have historically been indicated. So maybe we're 40% complete, you know, but uh, still a little bit of work to go. Is there any work to be done on like Baker street itself? Like, I I guess is, has Baker street like historically been a street so that there's maybe no remains under the street itself? That's, hard to say we are going to engage uh continue this work in the right of way because we're going to be reconstructing baker street chapel lane park lane and uh and because of the um uh protocol of it being a known burial site we have to do a clearance of i think it's a 20 meter buffer around the parking lot so that includes the right of way now the fact that baker and all the park and chapel probably were lanes in some way fashion or whatever before um doesn't necessarily give them an automatic buy because those roads weren't probably as defined as they are today you know and who knows where that boundary of the burial grounds exactly was so um we still have to do that work and that work will start up in uh we're looking at uh beginning of may maybe late april to start that work and Mike, I'm no geologist, but uh, the Earth isn't static, so things move under the ground, right? Uh, yeah, a, a little bit, but in the kind of time scale we're talking about, not, not very much. Okay, really. fair uh, enough. <laughs> uh, I guess the other part of this too is how do you deal with surprises? And I was thinking in preparing for this, I was thinking about they were digging up the roads in Kitchener for the LRT, and then they find this this old corduroy road. They they at some point the old corduroy road, which is lo- these logs, this log road, was just ended up like a regular 20th century street, and that came as a surprise to everyone. Um, and 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 Stephen just kind of addressed that too. That you know he's talking about making decisions based on reports that may not have been. Uh, prepared with the rigorousness that you or Stephen might have. So this is, again, I, I, I feel like it's, it's important to reinforce this is not an exact science. So how do you deal with surprises? <laughs> yeah, they come up all the time in these kind of projects. Um, 
it's always nice when you're working with a client like the city of Guelph, who's understanding of the fact that, that, you know, archaeology is not an exact science and we're, we're basically guessing what we're going to find under the ground when we give them a proposal. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you know, in the larger plan of the project, making sure there's a little bit of a, a time buffer to account for any of these kind of unexpected things that might come up mm. and, and putting that extra effort into the background research just to try to identify any potential risks there might be. Something like that quarter road, you're all pretty well never going to be able to anticipate. But mm. um, in this case, since we know there's a cemetery, there is definitely a chance that there will be remains in the right of way. And there have been remains found in the right of way before. Um, so just making sure that everybody's cognizant of that as we move forward gives us a little more flexibility to deal with whatever comes up. So all things considered, how do you know you found everything when you're done? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. Um, we're trying to be as thorough as we possibly can. So we're going at least we're going, we're going to the, to the depth that we're finding remains. And then once we've cleared that area, um, we're making sure there's nothing present by doing a second sweep through it. Um, you know, not with the machine necessarily, but with, you know, shovels and travels and very closely inspecting that surface. Um, just to make sure we've identified everything that could possibly be there. Mm-hmm. Um, one advantage of working with this kind of a situation is um, once you've identified the depth the remains are buried at, it's unlikely that you'll find them significantly deeper than that because all mm-hmm. of those graves are dug by hand. And right. Not the nicest soil to dig through by hand. It's very <laughs> rocky. Uh, so it, it's it's unlikely you're going to find some that are at a significantly deeper depth than, than where the majority are. And if, if I'm correct, uh, Stephen, there's, uh, you dig a little deeper than the graves, you start hitting bedrock, right? <laughs> there, there is bedrock. We've had, you know, it's one of the preparatory things for the development. We've had, you know, the geotech done and we know where the bedrock is. And it's, it's down a little bit deeper than where, where we are for the archaeological clearance, but, but it is there, yes. <laughs> so I, I realized that all the remains that have been found are going to be reinterred at uh, Woodlawn Memorial Park. And I, I do want to kind of talk about that in a sec, but for the other things that are being found, does the city have a plan for those like that brick crypt? I mean, how, how is that being treated? Well, I, what we've done with that, that wasn't something that was um, easily picked out of the hole and relocated. We, we documented it. We took photos, we measured it. We have some drawings of it, but otherwise it's, it gets removed, you know? Uh, is, I, I'm curious, does any portion of it get kept or is it? Um, uh, yeah. So I, I could probably jump in here. Sure. Yeah. Um, so for, for non-human remains, um, all the artifacts are, the way the licensing system works in Ontario for, archeo- for archaeologists, um, it's a requirement of the licensee to care for the artifacts that are recovered on their assessments. Um, so whenever we do a project and recover artifacts, the artifacts come back to our lab facility where they get you know, cleaned and analyzed and photographed. And then they get stored there um, in a climate-controlled space where they're, they're not going to be, you know, not going to be damaged or deteriorated further. Mm-hmm. Um, for something like the Brick Crypt, it would have been great if we could have assembled it entirely, uh, but the bricks were in in a very 
advanced state of decay. So as soon as you start touching it, it kind of crumbles into powder. Um, we right. did collect a sample of the most intact bricks that we're going to keep as part of the, the artifact assemblage for this project. Um, mm. But otherwise, it was it was essentially impossible to recover it intact. Interesting. We did take some good 3D models of it, though. So we have, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, have some of those. Uh, I guess that's really kind of changed. I mean, I was going to say it's kind of changed things from the Indiana Jones days, but I mean, it, it, fully acknowledging he was never a real person, but the, you know, the, that, that kind of technology helps like something like that brick crypt can exist forever as a 3d model. Yeah. And something we've only really just started playing around with recently is doing 3d modeling. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're, we're using it a lot on this site for the, for things like the brick crypt and the other foundations we've encountered, as well as doing 3D models of, of the, the intact graves, um, just so you can get you know as much detail as possible um, before you remove the artifacts and the remains. Because obviously, once we once we've activated things, the original context is destroyed. So mm. as much recording we can do beforehand is ideal. Right. I'm curious, Stephen. For you, are there any other places in Guelph you would like to dig up? <laughs> oh, you know, I, <laughs> and although we, we touched on the, the history beforehand, um, you know, I haven't, that's a good question. I'd have to think about that. You know, it's, it's, think about all the parts of town. I, I, I don't have anything. Off the top of my head. <laughs> but there's a, there is a possibility. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of rare. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but something like this is kind of weird to just take like a, like one of the oldest parts of town, just scrape away the, the modernness and look at where this town was 200 years ago. This is, this is, there is a, there's a uniqueness to this project that's perhaps justified in everybody's interest in it. Yeah. Getting the chance to do something like this doesn't come up all the time for sure. Um, we've only done one or two other projects of this scale in a, in a downtown urban area in the last couple of years. Um, I, I want, I do wonder with the more of the push to redevelop areas instead of always expanding the, the mm. growth of the city that this might come up more often as mm -hmm. more downtown areas get redeveloped. So we did a kind of a, a similar ish project in Brantford for the, the YMCA that went in there. Right. Um, no human remains. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it, it was kind of a similar thing where you get a snapshot of, of the early stages of that city. And it is a very interesting project for sure in that sense where we're getting more of a snapshot. And in this one in particular, with the remains that we're uncovering, before they go to Woodlawn Cemetery, we're going to do some basic analysis of them. Mm. Uh, mostly, you know, biometric stuff. So age, height, um, biological sex, that kind of thing. Um, and also any evidence of disease or, or other, you know, injuries or any of that kind of stuff that we can identify. Mm -hmm. And that will help us to give a kind of a, a snapshot of the population of Guelph as well as the city um, at the time, which will be very interesting. Right. Stephen, back to you. You know, you were a longtime Guelphite. Um, what, what kind of insight have you gleaned from, <laughs> uh, you know, like supervising this project and looking back at the early days of the city? I mean, how do, how do you feel when you're, kind of on site and looking around at all the work that's being done. <laughs> well, I, I'm truly excited about, about the project overall and, and, and how this uh, will help us get to uh, the end goal of, of a redevelop 
Baker District. Um, I, I do remember it uh, as a, a small child, and, it, and it, it's been a parking lot for my whole memory. Um, one of the fascinating things about it, though, for me was that, that I didn't know was that there was a, a, a curling rink on the southwest corner of the parking lot right behind Knox Presbyterian. And I didn't know that. I knew, knew of the Raymond Sewing Factory, but I didn't know about the Victoria Curling Rink. And I thought that was quite neat. You know, as much as I always like to know or think I know about the city, there's always there's always something else that you, you find out. And it's quite, it's, it's interesting. When was the last time curling was done there? I, you know. <laughs> it, 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 like not, not even exact year, but like ballpark. Well, <laughs> you know what? I, I'm not sure when the, the curling rink came down, but uh, I, I asked my father uh, the other weekend, I said, do you remember the curling rink? Cause I didn't know. I said, Oh yeah, I knew about that. So certainly within his lifetime, it was been here. Maybe it came down after the war sometime, you know? Okay. My next thing was like, maybe what was on TV at the time or if there was on TV. At the yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's going to happen? I mean, obviously, as I said, we know that the remains found are going to be reinterred. Is there some going to be some kind of like, and this, this may be not part of your portfolio, but I mean, has there been any discussions about some kind of public, you know, memorial or like some kind of public recognition of <laughs> sadly, the forgotten people in that old graveyard? <laughs> So you're saying perhaps on site after the developments built yeah. out or, or perhaps at Woodlawn Memorial Park. You know, yeah. There, there's certainly opportunities. Um, we're, we're certainly not down that far down the road to, you know, at, for it to come a, a real project, so to speak, but it's, it's certainly on our uh, radar. And Mike, maybe I'll give the last word to you. You're, you, you, I don't, actually, I don't know for certain. You may be a long-time qualified. You have not stated otherwise. But, I mean, <laughs> whether, you know, you, you have deep tendrils to Guelph, I mean, what has this project taught you as, a, as an archaeologist? I definitely don't have a deep connection to Guelph. <laughs> That's um, okay. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's mostly just kind of reinforced that even if an area looks like it's been very heavily disturbed, it, it may not have been. Like we're finding not only the human remains, but we're finding evidence of, of the various buildings that, that were, were constructed there in the 20th century. And while they may not be as significant um, to the history of Guelph and the archaeological record as, as the cemetery was, they are, it's, it's still kind of amazing how well preserved they are. Mm. And there's a building we found that's not on any of the plans or any of the fire insurance mapping or any of that kind of stuff, which is, you know, both interesting and kind of strange. Yeah. Um, just a little small foundation, right? Right kind of north of where the curling rink would have been. Really? Um, so that's going to be a puzzle that we're going to try to sort out as we move further south of the excavation and see if we can uncover any more evidence of it, try to figure out what it might have been. Interesting. That's. I, I like how we're leaving this on an unsolved mystery, um, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you know, there's more to come. So maybe we'll have to do this again. In the meantime, though, uh, Stephen Gazzola and uh, Mike McCready, I want to thank you guys for all your time today. And uh, I guess, I guess, thank you for all the hard work and uh, all the great stories, because I know there's a lot of public interest 
in, in the site, myself included. And so uh, I think a lot of people will appreciate some of the insight you've brought today. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Adam. Thank you. And once again, that was Stephen Gazzola and Mike McReady. You can follow the progress of the dig on the City of Guelph's website. And now that winter's over, work is scheduled to begin again sometime next month. You can also see the latest virtual open house about the next phase of Baker Street redevelopment. And you can find that right now and leave your questions and comments at the city's Have Your Say site. You can find all the links at the show notes page for this episode. And speaking of this episode, that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel... You'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram. And you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you may certainly do that. And you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. Guelph.